Good morning. 50 years to Jack and Sue. That is truly remarkable. Congratulations. How's everybody doing today? Doing well? Everybody enjoying their summer? Anybody been on summer vacation yet? Raise your hand if you've been on summer vacation. A few of you? Not many of you? Some of you? Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I was looking out today and I was just enjoying the beautiful weather. It's amazing when the summer comes. It's, living down here in South Orange County is about as good as it gets. I can only imagine what heaven's going to be like if it's this beautiful outside. Hey, let me ask you a question. When I say the words, man's best friend, what do you think of? A dog, that's right, a dog. Man's best friend is a dog. Now, why is that? Does anybody know like how that came to be? Uh, who knows what the origin of that phrase is? Anybody? Nobody? I don't know either, actually. I, I looked it up and I couldn't figure it out. But nevertheless, I, I have some speculation why a dog might be a man's best friend. Uh, for one, dogs are always there to listen to you in time of need, aren't they? They're always there to listen to you. When you've had a hard day, you come home... Your dog's just sitting there and he'll come up next to you and cuddle right next to you and, and, and he just loves on you. Dogs never talk back. You know, you start interacting with your dog and they never, they never talk back, they never argue with you, they just sit there and let you pet them. Dogs are like the perfect friend. They just sit there and listen and love on you and care on you and they don't care what kind of day you've had. They just want to be with you. Man's best friend, a dog. Friends, today we are going to look at the topic of friendship. We are going to be looking at what does it mean to be a good friend. The title of my message today, and for those of you that don't like dogs, I decided to put some cats up here too. The title of my message today is Biblical Friendship, How to and How Not to Be a Friend. How to and How Not to Be a Friend. Now today's message is simple. It's very straightforward. There's nothing out of the ordinary here. What I want to do today is take the Proverbs, take the words of King Solomon from 950 B.C., and I want to give you today a comprehensive look at what friendship is in the Proverbs. We did this about six months ago when we, we studied laziness at the end of last year, and we looked at how the Proverbs looks at laziness. And today, we're going to do a study on what the Proverbs have to say about friendship. And so, if you will begin to turn in your, book to, in, your, in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, we're going to be there throughout most of the day. But first, I want to set the stage a little bit. I want to set the stage for what we are going to be looking into and why it's important. So take a look first at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. This is what it says. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 Uh, Again, written by King Solomon. He says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Friends, as we begin this study today, I want you to take a pen and write on your note sheet, write down a few of your best friends. Right now, just where you are, write down a few of your best friends. Because as we study this topic today, I want you to be asking the question, do I do, do, I do these things for my friend? And do my friends... Do these things for me. Today, we want to learn about how to be a better friend. What is a friend? Well, according to the Old Testament, the word for friend in Hebrew is the word rea. Interestingly enough, this word is also often translated neighbor. Rea can be friend and rea can be neighbor. You might be familiar with uh, this passage from Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. Moses says this, You shall not 
uh, the Lord says this to Moses, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor, Rhea, as yourself. I am the Lord. And so you see here that the term Rhea holds a wide range of meaning, from friend or companion to neighbor or acquaintance. It can mean friend or companion or neighbor or acquaintance. Such a wide range of meaning for this word is one reason why it is not altogether unusual for the lawyer in Luke 10 to ask Jesus the question, Who is my neighbor? Remember that story in Luke 10? Take a look at it sometime after, after today. In Luke 10, a lawyer asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Now he was probably speaking in Aramaic at the time, but nevertheless, behind that question was his confusion over this word, Rhea, in Hebrew. He wanted to know, was Jesus saying that we need to love our friends and our companions? Or was He also saying that we need to love, literally speaking, our neighbors or acquaintances? Who is my neighbor? The lawyer asked. Now while the lawyer's intention in asking the question may have been to find a way to justify limiting His love, such only to friends and not to neighbors and acquaintances, but nevertheless, the question makes sense based on the wide range of meaning of the word to love one's neighbor. In Jesus' response to him, if you look in Luke 10, Jesus goes on to tell him that loving one's neighbor, one's rhea, meant to love the most unlovely of people, the Samaritans. And thus we have the parable of the good Samaritan. Just a little bit of history there about this Hebrew word that we're looking at today. Now today we're going to be looking at a specific side of the word rhea in Hebrew. We're going to be looking at the context in which the word is used to connote friend or companion. Someone who's close to us. Someone who is reliable. Perhaps a best friend or a close friend. As we study the Proverbs today, we are going to be asking, we are going to be looking at the, the way in which rhea is used for friend. And we're going to answer one simple question. Here it is. How can I be a good friend? How can I be a good friend? We're going to approach this in two steps. First, what can I do? What to do? And second, what not to do? What should I do as I become a good friend toward others? And what should I not do as I, be, as I attempt to become a good friend of other people according to what the Proverbs have to say about friendship? At the end of today, we will not have gone through every Scripture pertaining to friendship, but we will have covered the vast majority of the Proverbs on friendship. And so we're going to be able to walk out of here today having a very thorough understanding of what King Solomon has to say about friendship. So first, let's deal with what to do. How can I be a good friend? We're going to list four things that we can do. Take a look at Proverbs 17.17. 17. It says this, A friend... Solomon says, loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now here we see an interesting statement. He says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. In reality, Solomon means to... Uh, his, the, wording, the wording arrangement in Hebrew makes sense, but in English we should really flip it. He's in effect saying that brothers go through times of trial, and because of that, a friend loves at all times times. Brothers and sisters, we go through times of trial, struggle, strife, problems. And a good friend loves at all times. The first thing you should do as a good friend is love at all times, especially in times of trial. Oftentimes, I've noticed in our culture today, we tend to rely on family in times of trial. Uh, for some of us, though, our family lives far away. Uh, many of us in the Orange County region, uh, sometimes this is a little bit of a transitional area, and many of our family live far away. And when trouble strikes, we need someone to help immediately. There, isn't, there often isn't time for a family member to come to our aid, and so we look to a friend to help us. And that is why Solomon says this in following up to this in chapter 27, verse 10. He says, Don't forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor or a friend nearby 
than a brother far away. In effect, Solomon is saying, there is very good reason for you to make friends. And it is that you might have help in time of need. Perhaps your family isn't near you. Perhaps you're in a bind and you need help. It is my hope that you would turn to your friends in this church. That you would turn to Coast Bible Church and say, can you help me in this time of need? And I know some of you have done that. And we appreciate helping you in times of need. That is truly one of the marks of a church. Helping people in need. That's one of the reasons why we have a benevolent fund. Every Lord's Supper, we take up a special second offering that goes strictly to meeting needs. When the family can't help, they come to their church family. And that's precisely what Solomon is urging them to do. He's saying, go to your friends when when your family is not able to help or when they're far away. So we love at all times, especially in times of adversity. And with love comes a generous and helpful spirit. Take a look at the next proverb, Proverbs 3, 27 to 28. Take a look at this one. It says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power of, when it is in the power of your hand to do so, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow and I will give it when you have it with you. Friends, the second lesson we can learn here is be quick to help and show generosity. Uh, this, this proverb here reminds me also of James 2, chapter 15, where he says, hey, if you see a brother or sister in need and you just say, hey, uh, go on and be well, James says, what does that profit anybody? What does that profit anybody? How does that help anyone if you just look at their need and say, I wish you well, I'll pray for you, and you don't help the need? Solomon and James are clear. They say, when a friend is in need, we are to be quick to help and show generosity. We should not be slack in our aid. We should not be waiting to see if someone else might meet the need. Instead, with the friends that you've listed on your, on your sheet today, you should be quick to help them, and vice versa. You should expect that they would help you immediately in a time of need. Let's look at a third element, a third thing that we can do. Proverbs 27, verse 9 says this. It says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Hearty counsel. Just as perfume, just as the smell of perfume enlivens our senses, enlivens one's spirit, so also good counsel helps us in a time of need. As perfume smells good and enlivens our senses, so good counsel helps our very soul know what to do between different dilemmas in our life. The third thing that we can do to be a good friend is offer good and wise counsel. A good friend is one who speaks words of wise counsel. They know when to give counsel and they know when to simply listen. They understand that too much counsel, like too much perfume, can be suffocating and unnecessary. And so they're slow to speak, they choose their words carefully, and they advise their friends. A good friend offers good and wise counsel. Might I add that they're prepared to give counsel. Uh, so often I think we, we try to give counsel before we know the facts or before we, we know the, the, the facts of the matter. But a good friend is one who is prepared to give counsel. They know enough about their friend. They know enough about the situation, the dilemma that they're in to offer wise solutions. And so be prepared to give good counsel. If you haven't heard the matter, wait and listen. A good friend not only knows how to give advice, but they're also able to identify the occasional instance in which a friend needs correction. Take a look at this fourth and final thing that we should do as good friends. Proverbs 27 says this, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Verse 5 literally translated would read like this, Rebuke uncovered is better than love hidden. Rebuke uncovered is better than love hidden. The fourth and final thing that we can do 
as good friends is rebuke with gentleness and love. When a friend rebukes us with gentleness and love, it is an expression of their faithfulness, their loyalty to us. Just as parents correct their children, so also friends are exhorted to correct one another. Paul speaks of this in Galatians 6. He says, if you see a brother who's overtaken in a trespass, who's been overcome by a sin, you who are spiritual, restore that person. Restore that person. Bring their wrong before their eyes and bring them back into the fold. Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. Can I ask you the question... Look at the friends you've noted on your paper. When was the last time one of your friends approached you and informed you that what you did was wrong? When was the last time that one of those friends on your sheet there came up to you and gently pulled you aside and said, you know, um, I see this problem area in your life. I would venture to say that not many of you could could answer in the affirmative there. I would venture to say that not many of you have friends who occasionally, when needed, pull you aside and say, you know what, I think you should consider um, what you're doing here. It's not the best option for your life. Or perhaps you're in a sin and they bring it before you and say, look, look what you're doing. It's, it's not right. I need to rebuke you. I need to correct you. Certainly, the, the person correcting them is not without sin. Certainly they must look at the the plank in their own eye before examining the speck in another's. But nevertheless, good friends, Solomon says, they rebuke each other. They call each other out. They tell one another when what you're doing is wrong. And friends, I'm telling you today, if you don't have a friend who does that to you, you need to find one. You need to find a friend who loves you enough to correct you. You need to find a friend who cares about you enough to tell you when you need to shape up. I know I appreciate it when I have a friend who will do this for me. Uh, at the time, it's not easy to listen to. At the time, you want to get defensive and you want to say, well, we'll look at your life, maybe. But in the end, it's helpful. It's constructive. It's edifying when we correct one another. The term accountability partner comes to my mind. Do you have one? Proverbs 27:17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Other translations read as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That is what friendship is all about. So this fourth and final one, friends, is the one that I'm really nailing home for us today. The other ones are a little more obvious and a little more uh, straightforward, but this one rebuking friends, that's something I think we could all grow in. And uh, those of you who are my friend today, try not to rebuke me all at once, okay? As we as we leave, and you want to rebuke me for the sermon, just kind of keep it down, keep it to a minimum. Let's review. What can we do to be a good friend? Number one, love at all times. Love at all times, especially in times of trial. Two, be quick to help and show generosity. Three, offer good and wise counsel. Be, know when to give it. Know when to listen. Know how to be prepared to give good counsel. And four, rebuke with gentleness and love. Do you have a friend who corrects you? Now we've just reviewed four things, four simple things that help us to become a good friend according to the Proverbs. Now what about some things we can avoid? What are some things we should not do? What are some things that we need to be be wary of and watch out for? I found in my personal study, I found this to be extremely helpful. And so as you... Walk through this with me. Pay attention to some things that we should not be doing if we are going to be a good friend to someone else. First, take a look at Proverbs 19, verses 4 to 7. Proverbs 19, verses 4 to 7. It says this, Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. On to verse 6. Many entreat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. All the brothers of the poor hate him, How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. Now at face value, it seems that Solomon is simply stating a a fact of life. Not instruction for how to live. 
At face value, it seems that Solomon is simply noting that the poor have few friends and the rich have many friends. It's a fact of life. But behind Solomon's words, underlying Solomon's words here, lies an underlying principle that is perhaps best drawn out in a parable of Jesus in Luke 14. We've looked at it before. Take a look at this parable in Luke 14. Jesus says this, Then he said to him who invited him, Jesus was invited to a dinner. He says, when you give a a dinner or supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. No, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In returning to Proverbs 19, our text that we just looked at, the principle Solomon intends for us to grasp is this. Number one, don't choose friends based on social status. He's saying, how often does this happen? How often do the poor have few friends and the rich have many? How often does the poor go to his friends and they abandon him? And the rich, the the noble, the good-looking, the popular, they have so many. Solomon says this should not be. He doesn't say it in so many words, but that's underlying what he's saying. He's saying this fact of life should not be. We should not be choosing our friends based on social status. It's easy to choose friends based on social status. It's easy to associate with those who are like us or who we strive to become more like. Maybe someone ahead of us, if you will, in life and we strive to become more like them so we befriend them. But it is the poor It is the marginalized people who often go through life without good friends. And it is this that Solomon and Jesus both call us to consider. Do you befriend those outside of your social status? I would venture to say the friends on your sheet today are very similar to you in social status. I may be wrong, but I would assume that the vast majority of them are probably very similar to you. And that's normal, that's traditional. Solomon says that's that's normal, it's a fact of life. But I ask you, do you have other friends who are outside of your social status? Do you have friends who are poor? Do you have friends who can't repay you when you take them out to dinner? Jesus and Solomon advise us we're to befriend those who don't have much. So if we're going to be a good friend, we should not be choosing our friendships simply based on social status. Let's look at a second item. Proverbs 16, verses 27 to 28 says this, An ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Proverbs 17:9 reads, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. The second thing that we are not to do if we're to be a good friend is don't remind others of their mistakes. Don't remind others of their mistakes. Now, you know this kind of person. We know this person all too well. This is the person who points out, who loves to point out what you do wrong. This is the person who loves to bring up stories about the past in which you had a shortcoming, a failure, perhaps even a past sin, And they like to draw attention to it in a public situation, perhaps. This is not a person who rebukes with gentleness and love. Instead, they they showcase your whole past life and say, see what a fool he was. Look at what he did in the past. Do you have a tendency to do this with your friends? Do you remind them of their mistakes? Do your friends remind you of your mistakes? Six years ago, my wife and I were newly married, and we were uh, with a married couple that we didn't hang out with very often. We just kind of went on an occasional get-together with the two of them. And it it was our first year of marriage, and we were out with this couple at dinner, and uh, and this couple's anonymous here. No No one here. This is six years ago, a long time ago. And this couple started fighting at dinner. They started arguing with each other. It got, to the, it got to such a level that they were kind of making fun of one another. 
bringing up each other's past mistakes, talking about what he does wrong, talking about what she does wrong. It was downright uncomfortable. And Casey and I are just sitting there going, so how's it going, you know, okay. Utterly uncomfortable. This couple was fighting and arguing and digging up the past right in front of us. Friends, from that day on, early on in our marriage, Casey and I made a rule. We made a rule. We made a rule in our marriage, and the rule was this. Never criticize each other in public. Never criticize each other in public. Now, I can't say to you that we followed that rule to a T. There have been times where I've screwed up, where Casey screwed up, and we've accidentally criticized the other in public. But by and large, we've held strong to this rule. I can't recall the last time one of us broke this rule. And it has made our marriage stronger because of it. I tell you, friends, today, this element, don't remind others of their past mistakes, is critical in friendship. Don't dig up the past. Don't remind people of what they've done wrong. Don't criticize them. Don't conjure up stories from the past and showcase their failures and their shortcomings. Friends, you tread on thin ice when you criticize, even in jest. More often than not, people do not appreciate being reminded of what they've done wrong. So you be one who encourages and builds each other up. Encourage, support, edify, build up. These are important things. And these are things that we should do. But oddly enough, Solomon has something to say about encouragement and support and building up. Take a look at this. Next verse, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 5. He says this, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Proverbs 27, 14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, it will be counted a curse to him. You say, what is that all about? The principle here is this. Don't be excessive in praising and flattering your friends. Those who are excessive in praising others can do one of two things. Number one, they can cause their friend to become proud and conceited. And number two, they can become a nuisance to their friend. You see that second proverb there, that the guy rising up early in the morning and declaring how wonderful his friend is. And Solomon says that's like a curse to him. What he means to say is, a person who is constantly night and day, morning and night, Always saying, wow, what a great friend you are. You're so wonderful. You do everything so perfect. He says that's like a curse. It's a nuisance. It's annoying, Solomon says. It's like receiving a curse and not a blessing. It is not helpful. Because eventually the friend is going to do one of two things. Either he's going to become proud and conceited, or he's going to be annoyed with you and your friendship's going to be ruined. A good friend, instead, knows how to balance praise with constructive criticism and an occasional rebuke. It's a matter of moderation. Friends, the Proverbs is replete with the theme of moderation. Show moderation. Don't praise your friends to death. Don't extol them higher than they ought to be. You use moderation. The theme of moderation continues in our next passage. Take a look at Proverbs 25, verses 16 to 17. This will uh, get a kick out of everybody. Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. You say, hate you? My goodness, that sounds pretty harsh. The New Living Translation tries to soften it up a bit. They say, don't visit your neighbor's house too often or you will wear out your welcome. In any event, the word hate there in Hebrew means hate. It doesn't mean wear out your welcome. It means they loathe you. It means they despise you. What can we learn from this proverb? Very simple. Don't place excessive demands on your friends. Don't place excessive demands on your friends. Now, I believe some of us can resonate with this one. I think that some of us latch on to friends so tightly. Sometimes we latch on to their time. We latch on to their ear so much. We call them. 
We talk to them. We're constantly asking them to hang out with us so much so that it can actually damage our friendship. Solomon says, you find some honey? Hey, eat a little bit of honey. Don't eat too much. You find a friend? Spend time with that friend in moderation. But don't place excessive demands on your friend. Don't walk into their house each and every day and cause them to become despised. Cause them to loathe when you walk through the door. He says, don't place excessive demands on your friends. The old adage reads, absence makes the heart grow fonder, not presence makes the heart grow fonder. Teenagers, uh, you teens, there's a few teens out there. I know that this is, can be especially true of you. Oftentimes teenagers, we have best friends. We have our closest friends and we want to hang out with our teen friends all the time. I had a best friend in high school and me and my buddy, man, we just, every night, every day, we wanted to hang out. Solomon says, tread carefully there. You might damage your friendship. Spend some time away. Spend some time alone. Spend some time with other friends. Use moderation. Our fifth and final what not to do. And friends, this is one that that really, really um, caught my eye because it is repeated again and again in the Proverbs. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. I had to squeeze it on there for us. Take a look at this. My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are snarred by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the head of, hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. You say, what is surety? Good question. That's not a common word that we use in, in English. What is surety? Dictionary.com, handy resource, reads this. Surety is a person who is legally responsible for the debt of another. I'll say that again. Surety is a person who is legally responsible for the debt of another. If you become surety for your friend, that is to say, if you become legally responsible for the debt of your friend. Solomon says, watch out. Our fifth and final principle is this. Don't become indebted to a friend. And I might add, don't let a friend become indebted to you. Now on the surface, we might assume that, uh, that becoming surety for our friend might be a generous thing to do, might be a helpful thing to do. You say, well, wait a minute, we talked about generosity and helping them in time of need. Yeah, we did. But in that case, Solomon was speaking specifically about giving them, giving them their need and walking away. What do you need? Here it is. It's my gift to you. Here, we have something different. Surety is much different. In this case, a friend might ask another, hey, can you co-sign on a loan for me? Hey, can you uh, vouch for me at the bank or can you vouch for this loan that I'm about to take out? These, this situation, friends, is much different than being generous or being helpful. In fact, it's followed up three other times in the Proverbs. I've listed it on your outline. Take a look at Proverbs 11, 15, 17, 8, 22, 26 to 27. If you want to look more into this topic of becoming surety for someone else, every time Solomon says, watch out. You're treading on thin ice. Twice in our passage behind me, he urges those who have become surety for their friends to find deliverance from such a situation. Look at verse 3. He says, deliver yourself. Verse 5, deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. The word for deliverance there is the Hebrew word nasal, which means to save yourself. Save yourself from that. Find a way out quickly. I know that this can be commonplace today. And that's why I bring it up. I know that 
I have become surety for my friends in the past. I know that some of my friends have become surety for me in the past. The Bible says you're treading on thin ice. You're treading on thin ice. Solomon's words are clear. Get out as fast as you can. And so as the Scriptures warn us, friends, I urge us also to tread carefully when we find ourselves indebted to a friend, if we're co-signing together, if we're interacting between friends and money and business. It's dangerous. And I think that, I think that it's only reasonable that many of you know of many family and friends who have been damaged because they've gone into business together or they've co-signed on a loan together. If I asked for a raise of hands, I would venture to say the vast majority of you know of a friendship or a family that has been broken because of doing this. And so, the fifth and final thing that we are not to do as we are a good friend to others is we don't become indebted to a friend. Don't let a friend become indebted to us. Finally, let's review them all. First, what not to do. Number one, don't choose friends based on social status. Two, don't remind others of their mistakes. Three, neither be excessive in praising or flattering your friends. Four, don't place excessive demands, time demands on your friends. And five, don't become indebted to a friend. Don't let a friend become indebted to you. And what about the things to do? Let's take a look at those again. Number one, love at all times, especially in times of trial. Two, be quick to help and be generous. Give and don't loan. Number three, offer good and wise counsel. Number four, rebuke with gentleness and with love. You know, friends, uh, people today, uh, they often pride themselves on how many friends they have. Um, There's a popular... uh, Teenage and, and young adult websites called MySpace.com. Many of you have heard of it. And on this website, you can invite all sorts of friends to your page, if you will. And so, everybody has all sorts of friends on their MySpace website. They have hundreds and hundreds of friends. And yet, at the end of the day, if I were to go through this list with them and say, do these friends do this for you? Do these friends not do this for you? I would venture to say that they'd have maybe as many friends as on one hand. It's not the quantity of friends that matters. It's not how many friends we have that matters. It's the quality of our friends. It's the quality that you exhibit as a friend. It's the quality of the friends that you choose to associate with. And so that is why Solomon writes this. He says this in Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He says there is a friend. There is a friend out there who sticks closer than family. You can find friends who are so close to you, they are like family, if you would but become a friend in the way in which Solomon is advocating. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In the end... Ask yourself, are you a good friend? Look at the list you wrote down, the friends that you listed today. Do you exhibit the qualities that are needed to be a good friend? Do you avoid those characteristics that are harmful to a friendship? At the end, I would be remiss not to quote one final passage. This is from the words of Jesus himself. John 15, verses 12 to 13. He says this about friendship. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. We need to show sacrificial love to our friends. I I say to you in closing, are you looking for some friends? Are you looking at your list and saying, wow, I don't have friends that are like this? I want you to start here. I want you to start here in this church today. I know that there are people in this church who desire to become a good friend of you who desire to befriend you and to exhibit these qualities that we've looked at today that are wise qualities, good qualities in a friend. If you are looking for a friend, I want you to start here. But all the while, don't forget that we ourselves need to be friendly. We ourselves need to exhibit 
what it means to be a good friend if we're going to expect others to do the same of us. And so, as we follow the pattern of Jesus, may we lay down our life for others as Jesus laid down his life for us, his friends. Let's close in a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we've, we've seen today the importance of relationships. In our worship this morning, we sung songs about how you are in relationship to yourself, Father, Son, and Spirit. Lord, you are in relationship with the other persons of the Trinity. And Father, so also we have a model to follow now. In our relationships, in our friendships today on earth, we are to be loving and caring for one another. We're to be mutually submitting to one another and tending to one another's needs. Lord, help us to be good friends. Lord, we've done a simple study today in Your Word. It's a straightforward study. It's not complicated. But yet, Father, we've, we've gleaned good kernels of truth for applying to our friendships. I pray, Lord, that we would become good friends to those who are our friends. And, Father, that in turn we would find friends who would stick closer than a brother to us. I pray, Lord, that the people of this church would grow in friendship with one another, that we would lay down our life for others as, you, as your Son, Jesus Christ, has laid down his life for us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.